Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choosing. Whether that movie be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. I'm one of your hosts, Greg Arrieta, and joining me, as always, is Cynthia. Hello. And this is the second part of our SIF 2019 roundup. We had so many films we saw this year, and we did a lot of interviews, so we just had to split it up. Uh, instead of being a massive three-hour podcast, <laughs> it's going to be an hour and a half for each of them. Yeah. Uh, joining us from last week, but still present time from a few minutes ago, Hi. <laughs> Ivy Pottinger-Glass. Hello. And Stephanie. John, right? Yes. Okay. I was waiting. You were saying everybody's last names, and I was like, we'll wait till it gets to me and see what he does. But yes, one syllable Tron. Um, yeah, it's me. I almost forget. I always try to like make sure I say people's names right, and I was just like hesitant. It's Chuang, right? It's Tron. One syllable. There are a lot of people who do Chu Ang, and that is Ooh. incorrect. Yeah. Well, make sure I got it right. Uh, so this is our second parter, as we mentioned. Uh, go listen to our first half for our other recommendations. Mm-hmm. This is our second half. Uh, we're just going to pick off, pick up where we left Back off. Up. So you forgot your third film. <laughs> yeah, so we're just going to go right into it. Uh, Pigeon Kings. Pigeon Kings was something I saw immediately at the festival. I think when the screener, the screener Google sheet went yeah. out, uh, I was drawn to it by the title alone because my <laughs> girlfriend hates pigeons. She, uh, she went to Paris and she didn't... Uh, like like the pigeons everywhere because they're apparently much more like around aggressive, aggressive <laughs> over there. So she doesn't like pigeons, and I'm like, oh, I want to watch this. And like from the first moment, it is just like absolutely insane because you think of these pigeons as like street rats, mm-hmm. or you think of them as rats of the sky. Yeah. That just like bother everyone, and like what it what you come to see is that like there are these group of people who train pigeons in competitions. And what happened is, what happens is they're called roller pigeons. Hmm. And the roller pigeons apparently are genetically encoded to like have a seizure in the air and like spin. And it's like a they have a kit and the kit goes up in the air and they apparently all know to like spin at the same time. And the more you can spin at the same time, the more points you get. So there are these like groups that form about this groups that form around like pigeon competitions and they try to do what I just said is like create the best pigeon kit um, this one covers a group of people in uh, South LA mm-hmm. uh, and it is just like incredible because you're like I was in shock the whole time I was like what the hell these birds are spinning when you told me about it the first time I was like people train pigeons to have seizures what yeah it was a wild documentary when I first saw it I was having a great time just like snapping short little clips to my, <laughs> my girlfriend it was great um, you also got to interview yeah so we got to interview Choo Choo who is one of the uh, his name is Darian but his like name is Choo Choo <laughs> and then we got to interview uh, the director uh, Melina Pastreek Pastreik hopefully we're pronouncing her name I'm, I'm terrible at last names and I don't do the due diligence to uh, <laughs> we'll get it for or beforehand so um, but it's a great interview uh, we're gonna show it we're gonna put it right here but it, they were like really friendly it was nice to ask them questions about like the, Just like, the concept of the it. concept alone yeah because you're like why would anyone want to train pigeons to train pigeons <laughs> um, so yeah so this is like one of the first films I saw from the doc I saw, or for the festival, and I saw it as a screener, and I was like, actually like blown away by like just how, just how amazing you can train a pigeon, right? So the first question is, how did you come across the subject? How did I come across the subject? I actually, uh, my story for how I came across it is going to make me seem like I'm like obsessed with pigeons or something, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I swear. I'm not making a movie, but not me. Um, I was making a short film, scripted short film. It was actually my UCLA thesis film. I went there for grad school. And the girl in the film had pigeons. So it was location scouting pigeon coops. Needed a good coop to film in. We didn't have enough money to build one. So we were just looking at real coops in L.A. And... um, just went to a couple, and one of the guys who had the coop 
released his birds and they were doing somersaults in the air. It's like, what is going on? And was so fascinated, asked so many questions. It was probably super annoying. <laughs> and then he, it was the very first day. So, you know, in the film, they have the auction, mm-hmm. the pigeon auction. It wasn't that pigeon auction because that was much later when I filmed it, but it was they were having their very first pigeon auction of the season mm-hmm. that very day, and he handed me a flyer for it, and so I just went and showed up, similar to in the film, pigeon auction, bunch of guys just talking about pigeons, like pigeons' eyes and like their beaks, and I'm wearing pigeon T-shirts, and I was like, what is this world? <laughs> And yeah, that it's that, like a little secret society. It is like a little mm-hmm. secret society. <laughs> yeah, a little hidden gem mm-hmm. that nobody really knows about until you know about it, and yeah. then it feels unless really you're big. Involved. Unless mm-hmm. you're involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When uh, you were presented with like the opportunity of like, I want to make a documentary about this, were you initially receptive to the idea? There's this other documentary playing called Stuffed, and the director was very, had to earn the trust of uh, these taxidermists, right? Because initially taxidermists are presented as like these weird people who just like stuffing dead animals and she had to like earn their trust before she was able to gain like access. I mean, were you initially receptive to this kind of idea? Yeah. yeah. It was cool because before I met her, I was telling my friends, we got so many friends that do this all over, so we don't get to go physically all the time. So the internet is the biggest tool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the internet made us even bigger because we just, we love the birds so much. We post every day, every day, like your blog, where you post your pictures, your videos. Mm-hmm. And they love it. They call you, hey, man, what kind of birds you got? You get to talk to people, and be places you couldn't be. You were, but at first, you guys thought I worked for the government. No, I didn't you say that. Not. Other people were saying that because, you know, we're in the ghetto. Sometimes mm-hmm. you want white people come to the ghetto. Black people get scared when white people come to get on How did you get involved with pigeon? Like, what was the motion, or what was the incident like? Set you in motion? Like, I am really passionate about this. What made you really? Probably about like twelve, really thirteen. Mm-hmm. Jaime had birds since we were little kids, so I remember this old guy had blessed us all with some birds. I guess he was getting rid of all the bullshit he had. But he just gave us all some, like. He gave him like 20, gave me like 20, gave my cousin like 20. It just made me, I went right home and built me a cage. That's like the scene in the film where yeah. Chu gives a kid a pigeon too. Yeah. That mm-hmm. That's how it starts for a lot of people when they're children. Once you, the birds, it's so crazy because once you get involved, it's like it just sucked you in. Mm-hmm. It sounds funny, but get the bird you, you got all these plans in your mind but then you go and you try all this stuff and it's not working like well I can't get it to work but you go to somebody else's house to see it work mm-hmm. you gotta figure out what can you do to make it work it's not as easy as it looks now, now roller pigeons it looks simple mm-hmm. but it's not that's the question I had so like roller pigeons right it's I think in the doc they said it's like a genetic trait that they roll is that true yes so how do you do you like tell them to roll in on command with like a whistle or something? Is it like no? It's 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 genetics. Your genetics. So you just need to find the right birds that will do it. It's in all synchron- it's yeah. all animal husbandry. So yeah. they're pairing birds together. They are taking so meticulous notes. You're taking your best birds and putting them together, right? Mm-hmm. But some of these birds really produce. Some of these birds are just good in the sky. So you might have a bird that flies in the sky and it does good, but you bring it inside and it doesn't produce what it is. So you have to go find that genetics that brings you that that bird that produces. Once that bird starts producing, then you start to put that bird that produces on all the other birds because you want to produce the same kind of role. Mm-hmm. But the reality is you have to have a family of birds. Mm-hmm. Once you have a family of birds, the birds react the same. Mm-hmm. So instead of one or two going, they all will go. They're, they're, it's, it's put in them like that. When I, when I saw that roll for the first time in the dock, I was like, that had something I had never seen before. I thought they were, um, when they first shows, like the first shot in the beginning, I thought it was like falling out of the air, but no. Which is like, it's so, it's so crazy to see. When I was sending videos to my girlfriend about it, she was like, what was going on? And it's just, 
it's something that's like really has to be seen to be believed. But it'll make you like if like you seen it, you might go look up Birmingham Roller and then you'll see different parts of the world show the birds and all these different people like. So these people and these people, they all cool. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like that. Because I was telling her, I got friends in different parts of the world just because we all love the birds. Mm-hmm. Have you ever visited them? Because like no. in the in the doc, it mentions different like different circles of uh, like pigeon enthusiasts and pigeon trainers around yeah. the world. Uh, what what are some of them you have? There's you said well, one there's in the UK, right? Yeah, I would love to go there, but mainly like in the United States, I've met a lot of people like Arizona up north in the region I'm in. Mm-hmm. So most of the people I do know have been at their house, but I want to go outside of there, mm-hmm. you know, because really they're the ones that's winning. So if you want to win, you got to go see what the winners are doing. How long was the shooting process? What was like the, from the start to the post-production finish edit? From when I very first walked into that pigeon auction, that was in 2011. Mm-hmm. So eight years later, I'm here. <laughs> so. How many hours? Quite the process. We had about 400 hours of footage, but that includes so much slow motion of the birds. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of footage. But we shot the majority. Now looking back, I started shooting right away. I wasn't like at my computer researching forever. I just went out with the camera, started shooting, and then um, like dabbled in that in 2011, 2012, and put together work samples, applied for grants, tried to get some money together, and then in 2013 really, really got into shooting, got a camera from Canon Mm -hmm. um, that they just gave us to shoot the dock, and that allowed me to just shoot so much (laughs) starting then, and then um, I shot some in 2015 and 2016, and the edit took forever. Mm-hmm. It's real, a real journey. It's a really like condensed doc. Was there anything you left on the editing room floor that you had to remove, or like that you wanted to leave, you wanted to have in, but just for time constraints, couldn't? Definitely, so much. I mean, Jaime, are I filmed a, a whole other character. Mm-hmm. who is in the documentary as sort of one of the like chorus members, one of the, the Birdmen, but he's not one of the leads. Um, yeah, so a, a bunch of him got edited out. It was just very challenging because there wasn't, although there is the sort of narrative of the competition, it's a, you know, the, it's a little bit mosaic the the documentary itself mm-hmm. and just sort of jumping around a little bit and it was um, the structure wasn't so apparent and it revealed itself through the edit mm-hmm. and yeah lots of stuff got cut so many like great moments did you ever do reshoots and like go back with more footage try to get more footage that was really like in 2016 well in 2013 I shot a lot in 2014, I watched a crazy person. I watched all the footage and marked it up like an assistant editor would. And then um, I was like, oh, my God, these guys, they're just talking about the World Cup all the time and competitions. And then in 2015, I went and shot the World Cup. I was like, I should probably shoot the World Cup. I should shoot a competition. So then got really into the competitions um, in 2015. And a con- was constantly going back and like just shooting little like oh it would be great to try to get a moment another moment between Keith and Chu um like that developed later on have there been any developments since you've wrapped shooting oh yeah so many well the following year Chu Chu qualified for the world cup congratulations what was that like man crazy and uh, what was the end result there? Well, when I, I qualified, and then when they came back to fly me again, I didn't get no points. Mm-hmm. But it was still good to be in that spot, considering I was like the uh, the nobody, mm-hmm. beyond nobody. Did anyone else from L.A. qualify or that year? Or was it just uh, you? I qualified, Art Martinez and uh, Arnold Jackson. Arnold Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any future plans now after that? You mean it's like probably trying every year, right? Yes, yes. And it's so, you know, the 
it's so unpredictable what the weather's going to be like when you fly, if there are going to be hawks. There's so many elements that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. So. Once you open that door, it's, it's out of your control. Is the hawk still around? Is yes. causing problems? Hey, but he, you know, survival of the fish. You know, he got he to gotta eat, we got to fly. Uh, that was one of my favorite parts in the dock is like halfway through is like that's like you inject the drama with the hawk and it was just a, a great little moment in the dock and then also um, what's going on right now with the coops with people aren't able to fly because they're closing people down because of the chickens yeah well uh, they're trying to say that the Newcastle disease they're trying to take away the birds mm-hmm. so they, they've been going to people's house they went to this guy's house he's been in the birds 40 years they wouldn't killed all his birds so he couldn't even start over if he wanted to and they came and tested his birds like two or three times and they said his birds was healthy and then they came back and said they wouldn't kill him brought a search warrant and killed the birds so uh, I guess have you guys have any more festival plans or is this just the last one or this is more? the first one first one this is the first one yeah so tomorrow's the world premiere mm-hmm. and then uh, we shall see Mm-hmm. We definitely need to have a big LA screening. Yeah, it's a lot of people yeah. in LA who want to see it. Yeah, I keep telling all all my friends that they need to see it this weekend because it's just like it's just like this amazing documentary. Because I think like some of the best docs are the ones that are kind of like subverting what you think for like traditionally. Kind of what I said before is like it takes something you don't really like. You kind of say like this is what I think about it, and then it changes the whole thing. Yeah. So I mean. Just from like the way it's shot and like the way it's composed and like the way it frames it as like it's like it's like a passion like anything else you know someone goes and does you know they do baseball for a great period of time they put a lot of passion into that it's the same thing and you frame it in that same way so it really comes through in the doc so um, yeah congratulations thank you so much really appreciate it so uh, yeah told you thanks for doing the told you <laughs> I told you what <laughs> I was telling my partner, he came to see the screen when we went to go see it. He was like, she really captured y'all good. Because mm-hmm. he knows it's like, yeah, she did a good job of capturing everyone that likes. Yeah, I'm nice. so happy that I was very nervous to screen it for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like eight years of filming. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to show them the film. We did it <laughs> in like, um, at Photochem in LA. And yeah, the, the friend that Choo Choo brought was... I think everybody who he was, was like how you film. said in the beginning he, he don't like the birds he's like mm-hmm. oh whatever but when he came he's like hey this is interesting mm-hmm. he was like if I could see this again I would go see it again yeah like, okay. it's really good I, don't know. I would love for him to see the LA cause they man they be killing my phone they call me every day they want to know people in different countries hit me on Facebook oh man what's going on when is the movie coming they want to see it even the Homer guys, like, man, what's up? We want to see the movie. He's got to do an LA screen. There's just, there really are pigeon people all over the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They Way what you would think. Mm-hmm. All kind of people. I do a sequel. Let's go around the globe. That'd Doing be tight. Yeah. I was telling you, that'd be tight if you could follow the World Cup around the world. Because mm-hmm. then you could really see the, how serious it is. It's like soccer. Wait, around the world, does that mean like each round is in a different location? Or is well, it? Well, what happens is they fly in different sections and then they get to finish up who fly. Like, you fly with a local judge first, qualify, and then whoever won the World Cup the year before, he gets to go everywhere and judge the birds. Mm. They play for you to go. So it's the judge that travels the world. Yeah. Got it. And everybody flies from their backyard. But if, man, if you could see different places, the globe, you know, flying for the World Cup, they've never done that before. <laughs> That'd be a long flight. You should do the World Cup movie. I would love to do it. Mm-hmm. I would love to just go travel to see him fly. Because mm-hmm. that's that's something nobody never gets to do. Not unless you're the judge. Mm-hmm. And really see, because the United States, we got the most flyers, but places that have less people than us, they be smashing us. <laughs> but they just, I, they're really involved in it. I Here, they love them too much. Yeah. Over there, they like, we need the, the, the best the best one they don't care mm-hmm. they want the best of the best so but yeah thank you guys really appreciate it hope mm-hmm. you guys have a great time in Seattle yeah. and uh, enjoy the screenings thank you you too can get pigeons freak your girlfriend out and we're back 
Hope you guys enjoyed that. I enjoyed talking to them. It's interesting to see, hear more about the details of, you know, pigeon, pigeon training, training and like, yeah. you know, hear about some of the, the details after the documentary and the developments there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, pigeon training is wild. <laughs> oh, Jim, you saw it too. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, right now. I'm like, oh, did you want to talk about it? <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't really interject. It was, it was interesting, like, because it's, it's very much something that it's like, it's the first time that in, when you're watching the documentary, when you just see the, the pigeons just do a little flip in the air, you're just like, what the, that's possible? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like the, the way that they- I thought they were falling from the sky at first. Yeah, they, they yeah, because yeah, it was just like, it's like, just dropping and all of a sudden they're like back up. Um, no, it was just, it was just like really idiosyncratic. And it's probably one I haven't seen it, but it might fall into one of those documentaries where like it's like so weird, it's cool and interesting that way. Yeah, I just tell people it's like these birds spin in the air. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it frames it though in a really respectful light, as mm-hmm. in like uh, you know, it's like frames this weird hobby that you re- initially kind of like rejects and then it kind of makes you more uh, receptive to it and you mm-hmm. kind of come to learn that it's just a hobby like someone who puts a lot of time into like playing basketball or something mm-hmm. they become like impassioned by that hobby and it's the same thing here so I'd recommend if you guys can uh, they didn't say they had any distribution deal but hopefully, hopefully they do hopefully it gets on VOD Jim your next pick um my next pick I think is or was the opening night film which was mm-hmm. a film called uh, Sort of Trust um, from director Lynn Shelton and um, she's done a few other like local Seattle productions and it's essentially sorry I had to put that out there I really like laggies <laughs> yep um, and it's essentially just this story about like these um, all these four people that get involved in this like civil war conspiracy theory and how um uh, this one woman owns this like this sword that was supposedly civil war was won by the south yes <laughs> someone's gonna take that quote and ruin my career <laughs> <laughs> um oh geez and then so they kind of just get tangled up in this whole thing um and it's and it was it was very improvised um according to the um Q&A that was held afterwards um, with Le- with Lynn Shelton and uh, lead actor Mark Marin. Mm-hmm. Um, He's in Glow. Sorry. But yeah, no, it was it was. I wish I had more notes for it because it actually there actually is a, a lot of really cool thematic things that are going on in this movie. Um, do, do you have anything to add, Greg? I saw it at a, a press screening earlier in the festival, and I thought it was okay. Yeah, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, like you said, it felt very improvised. So at the end, I was like, they, without spoiling it too much, it felt very anticlimactic and very like, almost like aimless to some degree narratively. I feel like I get that. Thematically, but... it's clear what it's trying to say. Right. Narratively, it's just like, well, we're back where we started. So, I think that was probably my biggest complaint about the movie too. But I, I do, I do like what it was saying about like the whole having like fond memories for of like of your grandparents but you know um holding on to these things and, and just un- yeah understand- it doesn't mean that you have like the same values as like yeah understanding the historical context of why right some like what that thing is but also not believing in the of what it represents exactly yeah cynthia next pick my next pick is human nature it's a biology documentary, which doesn't sound interesting on the surface, but, and definitely was not, I was not interested in it either until like a friend was like, I really want to see it. And I was like, okay, I'll go with you. Um, but basically it's about this DNA strand called CRISPR, also like Cas9, I don't know, whatever. But basically what this DNA can do is it can like detect it can like, you can like manipulate it to a certain DNA strand. And basically what they've learned is like, you can use that DNA to like 
get rid of like harmful DNA also in your body. Gene editing. Yeah, it's basically a gene editing tool where ba- and so basically this film kind of first hour like talks about what CRISPR is and I do- think it does a really fantastic job in doing that. And then the second 40 minutes is like weighing the morals of like a tool like this because you can as Greg said it is a gene editing tool so you can like change how your baby looks or like like have your child have blonde hair instead of brown hair or like be really tall or be really short or whatever you want with it and it kind of tries to um weigh that moral ambiguity of like some having a weapon of like this weapon like this or tool i guess is a better word but i think it kind of loses itself in its argument a little bit, but I still think it's a really interesting, really interesting film that I think everyone should at least like have like some knowledge of and like watch it because it does it does everything in such layman terms that like some idiot like me could understand what's going on. So yeah, yeah, really enjoyed it. Cool. <laughs> uh, the next film I'm gonna talk about. Mm, I'm going to talk about two briefly because I want to space it out between Renault's is Memory, The Origin of Alien, mm-hmm. which is a do- pretty much a, it's like a behind the scenes essay of what Alien was. Alien premiered at SIF. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they did not hype that up. No, it was competing. It was playing against uh, Dead Don't Die. They, both of those had one screening time slot and uh, they were going up against each other, so... People had to, like, pick and choose. Uh, and it's, like, if you've ever read one of those BFI film classic books, uh, Eric Ames, did you recommend those guys yeah. here? It's pretty much one of those if they converted it into a movie. And it, like, goes and analyzes the themes of aliens. And it's just... It's very conventional, so it's not going to, like, revolutionize the way a documentary is made. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to see how, like, Alien is, like, made and, like, produced. Um... It's, I don't think it's going to change. If you hated Alien, it's probably not going to change you. But for if you like Alien like I do, and like many other people do, it's like a nice supplemental thing about how like certain aspects and elements and themes were integrated into the film, what were its influences. Mm -hmm. That was really interesting to see. And um, yeah, recommend it. And uh, my my last pick is going to be Stuffed. This was a film I had seen at South by, mm-hmm. but I rewatched because I was pitched. Uh, I was pitched an interview mm-hmm. with the director. Um, the, the director Aaron Durham had come to town, and she basically made a documentary about taxidermy. Taxidermy, obviously, very. Mo- it's people. People think yeah. about it. People think about Norman Bates and like how Norman Bates just like stuffed birds, and they're all just weirdos. Aaron Durham approaches it with a more kind of respect, similar mm-hmm. in the same way that Pigeon Kings has done. Um, and she, like, focuses on the craft and the artistry yeah. of, of taxidermy as opposed to um, just, uh, like, saying, look how weird these guys are. Yeah. Um, so it's very respectful. Um, and it's I loved it at South By. It's shot it's, very beautifully. Yeah. It's great. I love it as well. It also had, like, a really upbeat tone to it. But mm-hmm. I feel like something like taxidermy might not yeah. normally have. And it's conventional in the same way as yeah. as memory is, where it's like interviews with like some like going on. <laughs> yeah. Going on, some events. Um, it's it just, I'm a big fan of Chef's Table and I thought this was like Chef's Table for Taxidermy. <laughs> the way they shot it, where it's like they have like a sentimental part where it's like you're really diving into deep, like understanding why they do taxidermy, not like just the act of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we interviewed Aaron. Uh, we're gonna play. Uh, we're gonna play that interview right now. Congratulations on the film. Very <laughs> well done. Um, I saw it at South by Southwest. You did. And the thing with South by yeah, the thing awesome. with South by Southwest is that like for me is my first time going and you're just going through so many films yeah. and like we saw this at like 10 p.m. at like yeah. the Alamo yeah. and like it was such a nice like not just like 
you mean all the other films. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, when you go to festivals, it's like you yeah. get these certain ones that are like stinkers. And it's like when you get something like this, yeah. it's so nice because you're just like, oh, it makes, it makes my <laughs> plane ticket worth it. So Oh, good. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, quick question. Just, do you have any edits between like South by and here or is it no. the same one? Yeah, it's exact same one. Um, so you must have been at the third screening, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, that's the only one I wasn't at. Sorry mm-hmm. about that. Um, no, no edits. Um, we're, there are definitely things I want to fix and a couple little typos in people's names. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're happy with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I guess to start with all docs, is where did you where did you get these subjects at? Oh, my goodness. I'm a historian. That's what my, like, master's degree is in. So I started with research on, you know, taxidermy and the people that are in it now and found Alice Markham. Uh, she was in this big, um, I think she was the cover of L.A. Weekly and uh, had a lot of press around her. So I thought at first that it was this boys club that was turning into, like, a female-dominated industry. And that's actually not true. It's just uh, women have been in it since, I mean, for the past 200 years. But that's how I got started. And then Alice is brilliant, just an incredible artist and really strong uh, marketer and entrepreneur. So as soon as I met her, she was able to uh, direct me to one person, and then that person directed me to another. And that's why it took so long, was it was a really organic way of finding my way into an industry that is is usually very secretive and they do not like media in the slightest mm-hmm. uh, because they're all have to do with the psycho kind yeah, of creeper yeah because they're portrayed even and I won't name like the, the the stations but big stations like reputable stations have made them look um, comical and mm-hmm. and they were just not interested in that but I think because I have a academic background and not a film background they were they leaned a little bit more mm-hmm. into potentially trusting me and then um, I don't know I kind of earned it a few months in and then I helped skin that zebra and as soon oh, yeah. as that happened and I let them take a picture of me mm-hmm. they were like okay so you helped with that mm-hmm. final one mm-hmm. that world yeah best, they were um, best uh, was yeah. it, what was the title for it best stuffed animal or They're, best taxidermy they won um, oh my god what did they win it was about um, 95 I remember that yeah judges choice they won mm-hmm. the judges thought they deserved a title and they didn't win best in world and um, but they really wanted them to win so that was like the the judges get to choose like it's almost like an audience choice but a judge's choice so mm-hmm. they won that and it was incredible the only reason I think they didn't win worlds is it's a very like it's really untraditional to show asymmetry mm-hmm. in taxidermy and asymmetry is very natural it's a natural mm-hmm. thing in in the world but for some reason taxidermy is like nope if this side of the cheek is raised this side of the cheek should be raised and and the South African, Travis, was like, that's not nature, so I'm not doing that, you know? And I loved that. So he, they didn't care if they won. They just wanted to show kind of that next level. And they did other uh, techniques that have never been done before, like the hooves or mm-hmm. actual um, magnets. They're magnet paint. Mm-hmm. And that way you can move the zebra on and off the stand, which is the big habitat they built mm-hmm. underneath the zebra. So that's never been done before. So they're... It was just one of those um, special things. But, yeah, I had to – there was um, – there were three or four days to film that entire process, and we just didn't have enough time, and they were really stressed out. So when they were skinning, you need one person to kind of hold – like push back, you know, the, the skin. Yeah. And the other person to use the, scal- the scalpel. Mm-hmm. And they only had three people, so they needed four to keep it going. Mm. And they were like – Aaron, you can do it. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, I really can't. But I did it, and I just was so into it because I kept messing up. And mm-hmm. every time I'd mess up, they would show me, oh, well, actually, it's okay. You just you need to do it this way. Or you got too close to the muscle or you got too close to the skin. And, and when you get too close to the skin, you pop through to the fur, and, and then they have to patch it. So it's like they would just show me along the way, and it was um, it was so educational that I kind of lost track of the fact that it was – a baby zebra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the, and you kind of touched on it earlier, is like the approach to this mm-hmm. is very, of this film is very um, like respectful to the yeah. craft and to the art form, right? I think for like one of the best things about a doc is that how it can take you from like a 
a stagnant position of like um like a pre-held idea and then shift it right yeah so when you with this talk what i think was really cool is that it it did open it up so when you were going with that approach mm-hmm. what was like what kind of delicacy you kind of touched on it earlier but yeah yeah i mean I never start any project if I don't think the people that I'm filming have some validity or aren't special. Like, because that's a, I think that's how, like, people go into film, you know, reality or, or real life, even even serious documentaries, and they go in with their misinterpretations of what that subject is, and I don't think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think if you have that feeling, which some people could have if they walked into this world and went, you know, that guy has a Make America Great Again sign. We're not going to film him. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, get to know him, talk to him, and see what his real views are past all the political bullshit that we're surrounded by. So um, that was, I mean, my approach was just a very open mind. And honestly, the reason I got there was when I first started this subject, I was so anti-hunting, taxidermy, anything. I was just like, I am in the right. I don't eat meat. You know, I support PETA. I do all this stuff. I'm in the right. And mm-hmm. and I, f- I realized within three days I was wrong mm-hmm. and that I was actually very much working against animal conservation. And um, my views are still the same. I, I don't hunt and I don't, you know, do a lot of the things that I did before. But I just realized that there's a lot of gray area and a lot of reasons to listen to the person beside you. And I think that's what gained their respect. And... Um, just watching a, a vegan, <laughs> I, one of the interview subjects, his mom had hunted a deer that day in honor of us, me and the crew coming to film her son. And I was like, oh, good for you. You know, I was like, I don't, uh. and you know, I like that, that, that the food that they're eating was, you know, a, a happy deer, you know, running through the fields and then, and then ended a life very swiftly rather than in a meat market or in a, you know, in the the meat industry, which is just so volatile towards animals. I knew that already, and I liked that, but it was still just like, you killed something Mm -hmm. in my honor. But but I was just, afterwards, I was so impressed because my crew was like, you better eat. You better eat some of that. Like, they know you're vegan, and they're just testing you. Like, you better eat. And I did. I ate, like, a little bite. (laughs) And I was just, like, so... um, First of all, it was really good. <laughs> it was so good. And um, I had a lot of energy that I maybe haven't had in years. So that was a weird feeling. But it was also the look on their face. They just, I realized that there's a lot of shame with people who think you don't think like them. Mm-hmm. And that shame went away when I took that bite. And to me, the, you know, the price I paid for taking the bite was so minimal compared to the look on her face. Mm-hmm. Like that was just beautiful to me. So, yeah, I just realized that, you know, any judgment you have, any preconceived notion of a person or a stereotype, it's just wrong and it's going to make you a lesser person. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. For me, what I liked about the doc is that it's like layered in a certain way and it progresses nicely. It starts mm-hmm. up from um, like explaining what it is and then it goes kind of go to the background and mm-hmm. then it goes into like the various kind of nuances and facets of it mm-hmm. and then ends in the world competition yeah um where did you so you did you like decide which particular subjects you wanted or was it based on like access who who was open to it and who was not and like uh, we were really lucky there were a lot of people that weren't interested mm-hmm. and over time they became interested so the the last person we got was um uh george Mm-hmm. Uh, the the American Museum of Natural History. He he's kind of a he works for the museum. He's a contracted employee, but but he's like really high up. You know, he doesn't compete. He doesn't need to compete. You know, he mm-hmm. works. He he did the Galapagos Curious mm-hmm. Story. He did all these things that are just like which is incredible, by the way. That <sighs> that whole turtle tur- tortoise I, story was amazing. I cry every time, and that's not even the biggest story. Like, mm-hmm. there's a whole Nat Geo spread that he did that was tracking. Um, rhino tusks that were being or rhino horns that were being kind of circulated through the black market Mm -hmm. he helped the u.s government find all of those people from the most authentic uh recreation that's ever been made i mean Mm -hmm. if you cut into this you can see the rings like they were basically like he the people who were smuggling it in 
to catch them because it was there was a, a recording device in it, or not mm-hmm. a recording device, a GPS tracking device in it. Uh, the people who had to smuggle it in got detained in the airport because it was so real. Wow. So, I mean, he's just... I mean, all of these people are, they have these stories that they're so humble about and they don't spread because they're so obsessed with their work and they're just in it. And they don't think to tell the world, like, I just did this thing, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe look at taxidermy differently. But he was the last person and it was mainly because the American Museum was worried about not being, about taxidermy not being portrayed well Mm -hmm. uh, because they have been burnt before. You know, a huge studio came in and filmed them saying that they love taxidermy and in the end they put a bunch of creepy music behind it and made them look Mm -hmm. gross. And um, George was just, he's a baby. He was really scared about losing his job. So Mm -hmm. uh, it took me three days of just spending time at his studio after a year and a half of filming before he would say yes. Mm Mm-hmm. But he was the only one. Everybody else, it's like Alice spoke for me and Travis spoke for me. And those are two very aggressive people that do not uh, give their blessing lightly. So as soon as people knew I was working with them, and they're kind of the top of the industry. Like she's the, the, the most famous bird taxidermist and he's the most famous big cat taxidermist. So, mm-hmm. But that took a lot of work too. Yeah. How, how long was the shooting process? You said after a year of shooting. What was the total start to end point? Two and a half years. Mm-hmm. It was a, um, we went like full force really, really quickly. I did like three months of research, already had funding, and I was moving um, into filming uh, the first 12 days we did in a row all down the California coast with that. That was all the wild animal footage, um, non-Africa wild animal footage, and then the, um, all the LA stuff that was all done at the very very beginning and that was I think we were just so dedicated and we had a huge crew and like we were really moving fast that that got all the taxidermists in the world really interested and they're just a very secretive group so they weren't telling me they were doing this but they were messaging people through like Facebook you know um, pages and, and text messages that there was somebody that was legit trying to do a story on them so the um, the guys Yap and Ferry out of Amsterdam actually flew to me, in, uh, in at the World Show and mm-hmm. met me and kind of interviewed me to see if I would, uh, if I was for real. Their work was like the most interesting for me because they're like oh, yeah. blending old mm-hmm. art styles with their mm-hmm. current one and the way they approached kind of this aesthetic to it all was really yeah. just beautiful. Yeah, they're geniuses. I mean, they, they had the biggest marketing firm and they don't talk about this in the movie because I think they just don't want to brag. It's not like a Dutch thing, but Mm -hmm. like they had the biggest advertising firm in Holland, the biggest one. I mean, the hugest brands would pay them hundreds of thousands of dollars to, you know, art direct their projects. And they just gave it all up to do what they're doing now just three years ago. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't 20 years ago. And Mm -hmm. what they're doing is, I mean, the, their first exhibit, they spent a year working on it, and uh, the night before the exhibit opened, Damien Hurst came in and bought the entire thing. Oh, wow. So, I mean, they're they're incredible. Like, they're, they made the poster. Like, they're just, like, uh, just wonderful people. And they offered to come to Africa with us. We were just going to go. And they were like, do you want to go with Do we want to, like, can we go? Because mm-hmm. we're going to work with Travis anyways. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a willingness for people to people to participate, you know, because they're having to pay to go to Africa and all these things. But they were, that also goes in line with an industry that is severely misunderstood. And if there's hope, you know, on the other side that someone is going to change that, you know, the the top people in the industry are going to fight, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was Alice and and Travis, Yop and Ferry, Daniel, like all of those people are at the top of their field, even though they're really different. Mm -hmm. They're all they're all just as famous. Yeah. yeah. Another aspect is like the presentation, just like how you you have like these. I don't how you like you had those these great like well framed shots of like mm. the portraitures mm. of like the I guess the the stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, did you like how did you go about creating this aesthetic look? Because it is all very beautifully shot. Thank you. And like composed. Thank you. Um, so how did you go about creating like 
what I got from it is like it's, it's like the beauty of the stuffed animals mm. conveyed through the cinematography mm. and like the aesthetic of it, right? Yeah. So did you? Who was in charge of the DP work? And mm-hmm. like who? How did that work out? Yeah, I mean, it was Jan Balster. He's a German DP that lives in Asheville, North Carolina, with me. We've worked on projects together since the first year I was directing, and he's just a very supportive um, DP. He doesn't overpower me. He doesn't try and, you know, take over the director role. He just kind of adds to it, and we fight each other when we need to. So it's a very, very good relationship Mm -hmm. I'm protective over. Um, the stuff you're talking about was actually like the only time me and him have ever fought mm-hmm. because <laughs> we created kind of like this. We called it the black box. In every location we went to, we created this with like um, um, black backdrops, you know, surrounding and, and lighting to make sure that those mounts were really perfect. And then we would do some kind of dolly, like a circular dolly or something around it. We'd put the, if it was a small piece, we'd put it on a cake stand that that rotated. Mm -hmm. And we would shoot it that way. And um, it's exhausting, you know, Mm -hmm. to do the same thing over and over again and make sure we're getting the right ones. So that was the, those were the moments where this was my idea he didn't like it at first. He was like, this is so stupid. And I'm like, well, we're, we got to, like, create this, like, ambiance around these um, around these things that are never going to look alive. Because mm-hmm. that's what we wanted. I said, I want them to look alive. And they never did, you know, obviously. They just look beautiful. So uh, there was this one time we were doing the mountain lion, and <laughs> we did it, like, six or seven times in a row, the same movement on the same mount and we had like 15 more to go and it was already past like the end of the day and he was just so done and but every single one was shaky and kind of ugly and it just looked really cheesy and I made him do it again and he was so mad at me but then afterwards like we finished and he like gave me a big hug and he was like thank you so much because that was like the shot that's his shot he's most proud of in the whole film was this shot that like he just was so tired because he'd worked so long, like, that he couldn't get to that spot, you mm-hmm. know? But there's this commitment when you work on a film about art to be just as good as the people you're filming because, like, you're kind of being an asshole if you don't, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you don't re- commit yeah. as much as they do. So, um, yeah, he's like, sometimes that's your role is just to push me until until I get the thing that I'm I'm able to get, you mm-hmm. know? But he's... Yeah, he's incredible. He actually doesn't do documentaries except for with me. He only does commercial shoots. So mm-hmm. um, he's used to focusing on these tiny little things and not, you know, something as big as this, which is why I think it looks good because, mm-hmm. you know, he he doesn't shoot filler stuff, yeah. you know. The reverence for the craft really comes through with the photography, which I think yeah. is exceptional. So Yeah. Uh, did you guys leave anything on the cutting room floor? Oh, you- so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could have, we actually, I already wrote a treatment for a 12-episode um, series in mm-hmm. case we didn't want to distribute this exact film, but we wanted to recut it because there's already six episodes worth. Mm-hmm. Like, there is so much that isn't in the movie, but it just, it didn't, I didn't want to rush all of the ideas and all of the different, we call them taxidermy adjacents, like things that are that are taxidermy, but they're different from our story. Um, so much of that, so many different locations that are just not there. Uh, we do this whole section on Travis's mom, who's this beautiful painter, and she flies in from Zimbabwe and talks about, you know, how, how she raised Travis because they were, you know, he was... He just had a very humble upbringing and and zero education, and you just don't realize like he's one of the most he's one of the most accurate anatomical sculptors in the world. Not just for taxidermy in the world, he has never been trained. He doesn't have a mentor. Anything. This is him thinking it and picking up clay and sculpting it, mm-hmm. and that's insane. So that in and of itself is a story. So it's just it was really hard because the. Um, all of the subjects have something like that that's just so unique, and I think that's what makes them the best, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I, I really hope we get to do more on the subject. Yeah, it's really yeah. great. Uh, for our students, uh, where where can they find it? Have you guys been picked up yet? No, I mean, we've had offers, but not, not ones that work, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, 
Uh, we'll, we're, we're hoping for something really soon. But we, we are going to have a theatrical release, which we just found out. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. So we start in New York and um, some small houses around the country. And then we're also doing, um, at the main natural history museums in the country, uh, we're doing 100% charity events for animal conservation. So the first one is next month in Asheville, where I live, at the Orange Peel um, this big music venue, and we're donating all of the proceeds to support um, Appalachian Mountain critters. So, mm-hmm. uh, really excited about that. That was a goal from day one was to use this mo- this movie to film um, animal rescue, basically, and uh, that's what we're doing. Sounds great. Yeah. Well, I hope we get to see it again. And uh, yeah. it's a fantastic talk. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you for the interview. <laughs> thank you. And we're back. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. It was really fun talking to her. She mm-hmm. had found our Instagram prior to... Oh, really? <laughs> she had liked one of our photos. Oh. Yeah, it was fun. Um, uh, she's really, like... I, it's interesting to see what she would do next. She was, like, very um, humble and respectful mm-hmm. about her project, so... Yeah. Is uh, she a taxidermist? Is that why? No, she, she wasn't. Oh. She was... She had read an article in... Well, you'll hear in the interview. She had read an article in, like, the LA... Weekly. Uh, about and then probably she, yeah yeah she's like I'm gonna do it do it on this um but yeah Jim do you have a pick a rounding out pick because I'm pretty much almost out of picks all right um I'm gonna pick one that I don't think a lot of people have seen um, I had a few screenings I had three screenings at SIF but um it's uh, Le Chocolat de Ach, <laughs> and it's essentially this um, this documentary about this Japanese pastry sh- chef who, for many many years, has been winning all these awards for um, for these chocolates that he makes, um, and the film sort of just shows like everything that um, has inspired him throughout the years, um, and it's. It's really, it's really beautifully shot. Um, I, I'm personally not like a huge like culinary person, but I thought everything was really interesting. And they were like everything that was demonstrated in terms of like how to make some of the stuff that they um, showed was really interesting, and I understood it. Um, but yeah, I I recommend it if you're into like cooking documentaries. I volunteered that day, and I like chatted with like the because they like brought in like six people and I was just mm-hmm. trying to talk to them but like about the film a little bit and got lost in translation a little bit so <laughs> that was an embarrassing moment of my life I was there at the screening after Jim and just walked out of it mm-hmm. and saw him there I was going to Sybil but you know I was there with my roommate who really wanted to see it and like he he's um he's studying Japanese and he was like he was really excited about it Right on. Do you have any closing out I mean, picks? Uh, one, I guess, I would recommend is The Apollo. It's not very, like... It, it's probably the most conventional doc, yeah, as opposed to, the, like, stuff like, or memory, which are also conventional, but I would place The Apollo as, Or like, even Honeyland and Running with Beto. It's, like, very the bottom. I would put it, like, below those. Mm-hmm. Like a th- I give it, like, a three out of five. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just an interesting look into the history of the Apollo. I and think, the importance it is to, like, African-American artists. And it's, Harlem itself. Yeah. Um, so I highly, like, it's coming to HBO, so just, like, if you have the time, I would just recommend, like, watching it just because, like, I feel like a lot of people don't go out of their way sometimes to see, like, stuff that they're comfortable with, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or, like, this is, like, giving you an opportunity to, like, explore something that you may not, want, like, explore otherwise but i think it's like very generic in the way it structures itself and that's fine yeah but yeah that's about it for me the other ones are like yeah yeah i'm like fresh out of recommendations at this point at this point it's like uh the the other ones are like they're maybe these are like the honorable mentions like i feel like some of the ones i have underneath are like I feel like other people might very enjoy these films, yeah. but they just did not resonate with yeah, me. Yeah, there, there's one film in particular that, like, I think people will love, and I was just like, it's okay. 
Which was? Which was? Uh, Wild Rose. Yeah. I, uh, I agree yeah. with you on that <laughs> opinion. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. The, the leading actress is very good. I yeah. think she has a huge career ahead of her, but um, just not my thing. But I feel like it'll be a very feel-good movie that a lot of people will enjoy. I feel like I should have known what I was getting into when I saw it. But like I was hearing like these rave things about it, but it was essentially just like... Was that a Sundance film? Do we know? I think it was a TIFF film. Toronto International? Yeah. Oh, well, I thought it was okay. I oh, thought it was like below average in my fine. Opinion. Yeah, I think the lead actress makes it's it. It's at its fun. best when it's talking about her conflict with her children, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. also The loud, obnoxious country is like Oh so yeah, if jarring. you're if you're like also not a country fan, then yeah, I not for you. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah, I don't necessarily think like it's just loud when it moves to those country movements mm-hmm. and like contrasting it with like the small intimate moments with her ch- children is just jarring. Uh, other recommendation is maybe In Fabric. It's like a very Giallo inspired film. Yeah, sure. But it's uh, like very comedic as well. So it depends on like how it, it's kind of like the same way as The Dead Don't Die, where it's trying to distill the essence of a prior genre. It's from the, mm-hmm. the Giallo of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's trying to replicate that it's a tad long. I think it's like almost like a two-sided story where it splits itself down the middle. Uh, yeah. I think the I think um, the first half is better than the second half. Oh, for sure, for sure. And yeah, maybe some people enjoy it. I know a lot of I know a few critics who like it. I know people who hate it as well. <laughs> um, there was a meeting Gorbachev, which was a Werner Herzog dog or mm-hmm. documentary, not dog. Do- <laughs> a Warner Herzog's dog. dog. Yeah. Uh, it's another documentary. It's about kind of um, talking about Mikulai, Mik- Mikulai Gorbachev. Gorbachev, yeah. Uh, and kind of bridging or going and analyzing like how his role in like ending the Cold War and like how he was trying to bridge like relations with America and Russia or the USSR at the time. Mm-hmm. And it is coincidentally a history channel documentary so therefore it is very fact heavy but it gets it gets to like some of Werner Herzog's sensibilities at the Mm -hmm. end which I found the most compelling yeah Uh, first half is very fact based Mm -hmm. another film I guess that would fall in the wild rose category I know someone here who really hated it but um I think a lot of people will enjoy Britney Runs a Marathon oh my god (laughs) oh my god Mm, I hate this film so much like I don't like In Fabric but um (laughs) That's this is one. That's one of the films very that, problematic and like kind of. Well, it's just it's shaming. Problem. No, it's, no not, it's not. No, it's that's not. what I heard it's, about. It's it. For me, it was the problem was it's like take your classic indie film, and then multiply it by three other indie films, and that's like the feeling you get. You get a lot of like it's very misplaced nice. pop music, mm-hmm. a lot of hyping up on unearned emotions. Mm-hmm. It's very emotionally manipulative. There are some like very wild creative decision choices that I'm like, why are you doing this? You're breaking with like this the like the pros you've established for your film the whole way through. It's not shaming though. I don't think so. I don't know. Like, it's if just that's your issue. I think it. it's really bad. I almost gave it one and a half. <laughs> yeah. I wrote about it for um, Yomi's class because it was, I a, was de- about it was a debut. To, and I was like, I'm very fine about this film. It's like good. I it's not good. It's like okay. I, but I feel like it falls into the same category of Wild Rose, where I feel like it'll be a crowd pleaser. It won at Sundance, which is yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. to me. I was like, how That's in why. the hell? That's why. And I, I think... And Amazon picked it up. Yeah, exactly, right? Blew my mind. So, <laughs> that's why I, I just want to put it out there in the space. Some people might, may enjoy the very uplifting message that it has. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's like a fine film. Are there any films you guys wanted to see but missed? Yeah. I really want to see The Sound of Silence, which has Peter Sarsgaard and uh, Rashida Jones in oh. it. But I didn't make it. But um, I'm sure that all It has two really well-known actors in it, so I'm sure it'll be somewhere someday that mm-hmm. I'll be able to see it. There was a film I missed at South By, and I missed here. It's Them That Follow. Mm. Uh, it's about... S- snake handlers or something. I remember someone. I don't. I. Uh, it has Caitlin Deaver in it. That's all I know. It has her in it. Caitlin Deaver. Yeah. And then oh, that's Olivia Coleman. Yeah. Wow. Oh wow. Okay. 
Well, I don't know very much about it. I just heard great things about it at South by, <laughs> and I heard great things about um, at it here, and I just didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, I think it was film club that night. Or I think so, possibly. There was something that night. Is there a film club? There was on two nights. I remember being like, "Damn, I wanted to <laughs> go do something else," but you know, film club uh, takes precedent. Um, I wanted to go see some archival stuff. I didn't go see any archival this year, unfortunately. Yeah. I want the one I wanted to see was Fantastic Planet, but that was on mm-hmm. Thursday night, so mm-hmm. didn't get a chance to see that. Um, let's see. Oh, there was yesterday. Yeah. But like, like I want I I feel oh, like did you see the, it? I feel like that No, be, I didn't I didn't I didn't see it, but it was it's it just seems like I wanna see it for free. Let me preface it. It seems <laughs> like it seems like one of those movies where you see the trailer and you know exactly what the movie is. I don't yeah. I think it has an see, interesting premise. Like I wanna see it's, it's yeah, creative. I wanted to see it's Danny Boyle, but I think it's coming out in the next few weeks mm-hmm. in a similar situation as like Dead Don't Die where it's just one of those like preceding like priming the market for like it's like an early screening that you pay for i guess um danny ball peaked with train spotting but i'm not biased a long time ago (laughs) no i I agree i agree did you see t2 oh i couldn't get through the past 10 minutes of that film it was so (laughs) i hated it but i had a lot of edinburgh in it which is cool i guess and (laughs) they're filming it in a lot of places i know but Mm -hmm. i couldn't watch that film yeah i hated it (laughs) Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't think Danny Boyle peaked at Trainspotting. Um, let's see here. I'm looking at a science in my account for a second. Uh, festival schedule. Let's see. There were, the one I wanted to see was The Third Wife. Oh, oh yeah. That one looked Volunte- really, really yeah. good. You were volunteering that day. There was mm-hmm. the weird, it was set up weird because they had one in Lincoln Square. Mm-hmm. But no one's going to fucking Lincoln Square. It's in Bellevue. It's very far out <laughs> yeah. of the way. Unless you have a car, no one's going to go. And then, especially students. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other screening was, I think it was on Cynthia's volunteer day. I had a paper I had to write. Mm, yeah. So I didn't go see that either. Um, I really wanted to check out good. Roll Red Roll, which has a screener, so I might actually. Oh, is that the, the football? Yeah, it's okay, the, yeah, yeah. like, kind of like going, exploring, like, rape culture and yeah. co- football and college football or high school football, one of those. But, like, it's just a topic I'm very interested in just because it's very polarizing and yeah. so under the radar sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that, one, that's uh, one of those documentaries that's just, like, designed to make you just really angry. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I heard about that and I wanted to see it, but I couldn't make it. Um, yeah. I was curious about Blinded by the Light because it seemed... <laughs> It seemed like a, a little bit more, like a, a little bit better than the other like music movies that were at SIF. I'm, I was interested it, in it because it's the director who made Bendit Like Beckham. Oh yeah. And I really like that film for some odd reason. So that was like my reason of it. And I think it played at Sundance and I heard good things about it. So, but so, someone told me it was fine. Which, I guess, whatever. Yeah. Any last minute ones? I'm fresh out. Um, the, Miles, the Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, I really um, wanted to see. The documentary about him with like never, never, fo- never before seen footage and music and all that. I couldn't make it to either of the screenings, though. But I've been a huge Miles Davis fan for a while. So I really wanted to see that. That's probably it for me. I don't know. There's so many, just like... There's so the many. ones I can think There's on the top of my head. There's always ones where you just kind of miss out, and then uh-huh. it comes up later. Mm-hmm. Um, like last year, last year there was yeah. was like a great lineup. There was like some of the best films of the year had played at first Stiff. performed to play eighth grade. Sorry eighth grade. to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Won't wow. you be my neighbor? Wow! Oh my That's goodness. That's a really good uh, lineup. Um, we had Cameron Post, but we're Cameron we're Post, like in yeah. a minority of like. Like, this is the best film mm-hmm. of the year, in opinion, but... Three Identical Strangers played, I believe? Three Identical yeah, Strangers played. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It was a great lineup last awesome. year. Awesome. Um, so, and there's this always... Is, okay, that's fine, right? The Farewell. The Farewell is, like... That's my favorite that I saw here. ahead of all the other ones I've seen. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some overlap. If you, like, include my South Live viewings, then the number, like, jumps up by, like, five. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, it's just hard to 
see stuff, especially being students. Mm. Yeah, student school was getting in the way for most of my thing. Yeah. Like South by, I saw twenty three at South by, and that's because I was like you dedicated. Skipped. I skipped. I skipped last <laughs> ten. ten. And it was like pretty much exclusively that, and I did it in like ten days as opposed to twenty five for mm-hmm. Sif, which I saw two less films. But mm-hmm. again, there's overlap. But whatever. Um, so yeah. Sif's always a great time. You it's know. fun. It's just overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, it's overwhelming. And getting that one great film that you want is like... Makes it worth it. Makes it worth it. Yeah. And it's also a little bit harder to find. But if you do, you're in for a good time. Yeah. <laughs> is there any closing thoughts on Sif, your experiences, anything? I had a great time. I definitely will do more next year because this was like very eye-opening. And it's great to know that these things are here for us to enjoy. It was great. Yeah, it's a great resource to have a film festival in your yeah. backyard. Oh, you don't sure. have to go anywhere or pay for flights or housing, housing or anything. Yeah. So, check out SIF. Yeah, yeah, check out SIF. We yeah. have capsule reviews for all Almost of our... All, everything we talked about. Everything we talked about and then some. Mm-hmm. Even the ones we didn't like. <laughs> uh, that, by the time this podcast is up, we'll be... Oh my god, it'll be so late by now. This podcast is going up on Father's Day. Well, yeah, we have uh, all of our interviews. We have uh, verbal, um, tran- what is it? What's- we've transcribed, yeah, we've transcribed all the interviews. Uh, you can listen to the individual ones in on SoundCloud files, mm-hmm. or you can read it, or you can listen to it in our podcast. Or you can read it and listen to it. As the films get full releases, the embargoes will lift, and you'll mm-hmm. see our full reviews on there. Uh, so check that out uh, thank you everyone for joining us this has been a lengthy recording time yes just because of the nature of it but we appreciate it uh, check us out on Facebook at UW Film Club on Instagram and Twitter at Film Club UW <laughs> post a podcast every Monday at 8am on SoundCloud Apple Podcasts Spotify and Google Play uh, use our Amazon Smile link or Blue Apron link MeUndies. HelloFresh promo code. Wix. Me, we transfer. Casper Mattresses. Mac Walden. Uh, Vincero Watches. Squarespace. Movie. Cash App? I haven't listened to one of Cash App. Cash App. Hymns. Um, Barkbox? Yeah. Do you guys have any? I'm ending the bit here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We really appreciate it. Uh, tune in next week for something. Something to figure it out. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.